Good evening. Welcome to Pushing to Boundaries with TNA. You're listening to, well, T. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm A. <laughs> and uh, we're pushing conventional thought. We are. And tonight, we're, well, I'm so excited I can't even talk about it. We're talking about group sex. We were talking about group sex. We were just doing our group dance in the studio uh, to our favorite song, Sexual Revolution. <laughs> get your groove on. Well, we have to get excited for you. Um, so we're talk- we have a- an amazing guest on tonight. She is Dr. Catherine Frank. She's an anthropologist. She's uh, a woman, obviously, which I like that. She's huh. a beautiful, beautiful woman who's done amazing work. And wow, what a body of work. I, <laughs> I know. I know we were reading all about it. and, sh- and I'm, we're, So we're going to be talking with her later about all the research she's done in group sex and monogamy. Um, and I have, uh, we're going to be talking about so many different things. There's lots of questions, lots of judgments I want to address, lots of confusion and misunderstanding. And yeah, well, and she's, so stick around because it's going to be a, written a good several show. books and it's, yeah, great research and analysis. And then she also has some personal field experience, <laughs> which I think just enriches, you know, the quality of the content. Exactly. And her book is called Plays Well in Groups, A Journey Through the World of Group Sex. And it's all just research-based and a very fun to read also. Um, and so, yeah, so we'll be talking with her in a little bit. In the meantime, T, hmm. what's your experience with group sex? Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, I have attended a number of naked parties, which did not mean sex. And in fact, they're kind of sponsored to not necessarily have sex. But I found that like any party, um, you know, a good number of people would end up in different rooms hooking up this kind of thing. Well, and this was like college-ish? College, naked parties. Um, One party was after college where there was this really amazing flamethrower who in the backyard did this thing where she would like roll the fluid, like lighter fluid on our backs and like light our backs on fire and then put it out. And I have this scandalous photo of myself on posing. Fire. Yes, posing with my back on fire. And I have this, you know, hilarious like big smile on my face looking straight at the camera, like a Marilyn Monroe style pose, like, you know, twisted to the side. So she's proud of her naked party so photo. Proud. But you it's didn't have sex? Amazing. Well, I did, but I had a... F- a lover that was at the party. (laughs) So it wasn't group sex. It was just discreetly in another room. Um, But that said, I have also been in smaller sexual, I don't think I've actually had a full on orgy where there was more than three people. Um, My experiences have been, have been, you know, me and a woman and a man, me and two men. Um, Were you guys switching partners too? Or... Uh, well, there's three of three of us. I never. I don't think I've done four. I haven't had four of us in a room. So three of us rotating. Oh yes, there was, <laughs> it was one that other one thing. time. <laughs> <laughs> and no, I did not switch partners in that situation <laughs> where there was more than one person in the room. <laughs> I. It's funny how you forget that you do these. You do these things. I, I was in one situation that was very impromptu. Yeah, uh, it was like a big, you know, club party night, and then mm-hmm. we all ended up in a in a room together, and everybody was hooking up. It was really fun. But you did you you did your separate hookups, or yeah, even okay. though you to, were all in the same room, right? But yeah, I didn't I didn't share that, which brings up a good point. I do have a sensitivity to that to sharing. Yes, right there, all at once. Yeah, you mentioned. Can I mention you? You talked to me yes a few days yeah. ago about your an experience with your ex. Um. 
you were in hot tub or something and you, yeah. And you brought this oh, up. Right. Yeah. And a friend was with us and he sort of was becoming aroused and it made me very uncomfortable. It did, it did make me nervous. And then my boyfriend, well, one of my exes, yeah, at the time we talked about how he could be aroused by the idea of me being with another man. And I've actually always been very excited by the idea of like more than one man. Like I like in the threesome dynamic, right. my right. ideal would be like two men, right? not another woman and a man. Like, and I, and, um, and I think this sometimes surprises guys, but that's definitely not my cup of tea. And I wonder if it's just, that's my temperament or do I have personal hangups around it? I know that I like a lot of attention, so it makes sense that I would want two men. That you would want four hands and two, to- <laughs> two male members then. Yeah, yeah. All for me. <laughs> How about you, A? What's going on? Um, okay. Well, I, you know, it's funny because I don't consider myself very sexually avant-garde. However, when I share my experiences with people... You're amazed at how I'm, on yeah, the fringe you are exactly. with your experiences. So, um, <laughs> how far you've gone. Right, I, like, I forget I've even done that. I'm like, oh yeah, you're right. I did have an orgy. <laughs> so I became curious about all of this um, maybe a couple years ago when I was with a partner. And I loved this man, but I also really had the strong desire to explore. And I was feeling connected to other people in a sense of like, we're, I'm very monogamous I have been, and I've never had the desire to be outside or to have anything outside of the relationship. And maybe also your age range. I mean, people, you know, you go through evolutions in your life where you start wanting to experience different things and does it line up in a committed monogamous relationship you're in? And then you're, you know, up a creek. Yeah. Right. And to me, it's, it was really important for me to have the freedom to explore and experience life. And I, and I don't, I didn't feel like it was fair for my partner to limit that for me or for me to limit that to him. So anyway, so we, we opened it, the relationship, I guess a bit. And, um, so that kind of started my exploration and that led to me, like he and I went to, we started going to some sex parties together to sort of experience this together. And my first experience was, um, it was for his birthday. I was on the hunt for a threesome and I had had a few threesome experiences, but it was always really, yeah, a little tentative, like intimidated on... by the girl, you know, or like, it, like a little insecure, you know, and not really wanting to see him with her. And so I'd had like play experiences where like light making out with other women in, in like with the guy I was with. Um, yeah. So I've had, I've done that a few times, but then this time we actually went to a sex club party and where it's like different rooms full of people doing all kinds of different things. And, you know, of course you can Instead invite others to play. Instead of drinking tea, they were fingering each other. Exactly. In the corner. <laughs> in the... <laughs> Instead of, you know, light snacks or, or board games. Banging away. But, um, I have to say I was, I was really nervous. And the first time we went, it was pretty much a voyeuristic experience where he and I like, like I was on the, I was on the outside just watching because we went into this one room and it was just this massive, you know, wall to wall mattresses and red velvet uh, curtains. And it was really sensual and just like naked bodies all sprawled throughout the room wow. having sex. And it was really like sexually, not intimidating, but strong. It was just like such sexual fierceness there. And it, so I just stood on the sidelines like, whoa. 
And but pretty soon, it, like the eroticism was reaching me, and then he and I were doing our own thing, and then. Um, so that was a voyeuristic experience. I've had a few since then. You were doing your own thing, as in you didn't join into the full orgy, but you were right. aroused we were that a couple. you two had a sexual experience together. Well, we were, we ended up on the mattress with amongst Nearby. everyone else. <laughs> oh, yeah. wow! But we weren't necessarily in, we weren't like connecting with others. Connecting, yeah, like kissing or playing with other people until later and then it was again it was mostly girl on girl light kind of experience interesting yeah like dipping the toe in right and then I yeah and then since then I've been in a couple sounds fun (laughs) well it's it's always to me it's always been like on the edge of tolerance for me it's something that I'm curious about but I'm also scared of right like it's not like a go-to passion it's not yeah like I could say I had had fantasies about two men you know like wanting to be with two men and then and then it happened and I was like yay really I see that's a fantasy that I have and I've never I didn't for a long time I had the fantasy but thought I never want it to be a reality and then all of a sudden I kind of had this accidental reality. I mean, actually, that's a good point. I didn't plan it. And I have to say, like, I love this one book that Nina Hartley wrote called Guide to Sex. And it does talk about, you know, being like a healthy kind of threesome or engaging in an orgy, really everybody having agreement, right? Like this kind of consensual decision and being able to talk about it and kind of create arousal through everyone's comfort. And, And I found that my situation was a little more like, oh, I'm really tired, it's late, you know, someone's hand is on me in the bed, and then someone else's hand is on me, and then I'm You're like, eh, why not? Yeah, my little little mischievous wheels turn, and I go, all right, we'll see where this goes. Right. Um, which was fun in its own way, but I would almost be interested now in a more mature, confident place with my sexuality, you know, going that road again. Yeah, interesting, and, you know, I agree with you, I and I've, again, this is a little freaky, and I don't know what's writing Bring what, but, no, but, like, <laughs> I swear my life, is in alignment with these shows. And I don't know if it's, I mean, I think I'm just creating the shows from <laughs> my life, from like whatever's What's inside on your of me. Mind? Exactly. Well, yeah, that's why we do the show. Well, uh, so this has been coming up actually more and even more strongly the last week or two, this really intense desire or curiosity about all of this and like really seeing myself for the first time wanting to see myself in the middle of a party, like having sex with them, like all these different people and not even really caring who they were, which, and this is for me astonishing because I'm so connection oriented in sex and, you know, very one-on-one and it's a deep thing. And so it's just something that's never been attractive to me. So I'm really, I'm just sort of watching myself a little baffled as to why this could be. However, I will share one thing. I have had a bit of an epiphany mm-hmm. a few days ago mm-hmm. or over the, like a week ago or whenever, probably in alignment with all of this, where I realized that I had a judgment about sex. <gasps> what was it, eh? A really pretty big one, actually. And it, I don't know how it came to light, but it did. And I s- realized that I, s- I was judging sex as an inferior way of connection. <laughs> I know. Gee, blasphemy. Blasphemy. Oh my God. But listen. <laughs> okay, explain more. Take your moment. Take your moment. I'm just. I, it makes me feel vindicated about my desires for <laughs> orgasm. And it makes me go, I was right. I'm always right. <laughs> Not always, but in this situation. Well, okay, okay hold on. Uh-huh. I'm, my, my cheeks are so hot because <laughs> Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Okay. okay. So 
I feel like I realized that I had this belief that, or this, yeah, something that I learned when I was young that it's more valuable to connect with anyone, especially a man, through my heart and through my mind and by doing other things, like having an intimate conversation or, uh, I don't know, anything, anything other than sex. And that sex was a lower energy, lower base, low, more low brow kind of like way of little, connecting. Like a little playing in the sandbox and you only get to play in the sandbox if you've had that intimate connection via um, a conversation. Well, it's or- not even a first one, then another, but just that Yes, we're human and sex is a part of our life, but it's, you know, it's, it's more unrefined and mm-hmm. it's not something that you want to reach for. Like right. the, to, to spend your energy really developing intimacy and communicating and talking and all this stuff and which, it, which is valuable and necessary, of course, but I, this judgment is it's bizarre. It's not bizarre. I think no, it's pretty it's, normal. Uh, yeah, I think we're I think like we're really taught yes. to value that, and you know, oh no, sex. You want to not just reserve it, but there really is a hierarchy. It, like I realize that there's this hierarchy that exists in me, and so since I saw that, it sort of started lifting and like evaporating, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden, I'm like having these sex desires. Party! <laughs> sex party. <laughs> but but I'm seeing it more as. Not like not looking down on it, and again, this was all subconscious, but not having that in the back of my mind that this is an inferior way of connecting, but seeing it as not just different but the same, but also seeing really seeing the power in it in a new light, right? Yeah, I which is I'm making me really at, horny, <laughs> right? I'm just amazed that at the for me, like the more I connect with the sexuality, the more depth there is and just how far you can go and how limitless it feels. Um, and, and, and connection itself through sexual dialogue, through physical dialogue, basically. Yeah. Um, you know, I had an experience with someone recently where I was very surprised by, I guess what seems like him not having as much experience and really kind of becoming a guide for him. But the, but his strength and the beauty in his sexual giving was his presence and his ability to adapt and um, and connect through the touch. Right. And even eye contact and all these things. But also for me, um, I felt we really connected even with our breathing and the breath right. work. Yeah, and, yeah. And it just feels like, yeah, I mean, your body is so alive. Yeah, and it's not that I've been closed down to this before. I'm a very sensual and sexual person. I've, you know, I've been having... So, I mean, you know, you I've been on the show. Are you? Ed? I am. <laughs> I didn't know. No, shut up. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> what I'm I, so surprised. <laughs> but what I'm saying is that that was all there. It's not like I was like some freak before that abstained, but it's just, I, there was a veil. Well, what's there interesting is even for you. Like, yeah, exactly. Is, yeah. Who more has open, had all these experiences. Right. Right. That, that, that belief, so. that judgment was still there. So now I'm, yeah. It's like, kind like, of like humming at a low level. Yeah. And I, oh, yes. Yeah. And, and I, and I real, so anyways, so I feel like I've become aware of this like resistance that is now. Yeah. Well, more and more I'm questioning kind of what you were just saying about connection. I, I've been fascinated by my ability to generate connection with the person I'm having sex with. So that's not to say, you know, you of course want to have desire for them and then that makes you want to give more and be more present and connect at a higher level. But I'm amazed by 
it's not counterfeit, but it's like right. I'm here now in the immediate with you. This may not be my life partner, right. but I can have such a deep experience with them in this immediate time right? and not judging it or putting a limit on it, oh, letting it be that's as expensive powerful as, and that's as I want it to be. And that makes me think of sex parties and group exactly, sex. Exactly, exactly. Intimidated but, by the energy coming from that big circle. But what happens if I dive in and really connect with them? I wonder. What could the experience be Let's go to a sex party together. Oh, my God. Ah! That's gonna be like one of our episodes will be post-sex party and we'll have to talk about it. <laughs> it's kind of brilliant. It is brilliant. All right, we'll do we'll it. We'll do it. Okay. All right. I want to introduce everyone to Dr. Catherine Frank. Um, she is a scholar in residence in the Department of Sociology with the American University. I visited uh, there. Did you? Yeah, when I was looking at colleges. Ooh, <laughs> what do you think? Uh, great institution. I mean, DC is a huge hub for brains, so I'm really excited about having Dr. Kate on the show. And uh, you can find her work on katefrank.com, and her Twitter and social media is all there as well. Um, so let's bring her on and meet this wonderful woman. Are you there, Kate? I am. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome, and thank you for coming on. We're, we're if you can't tell already, we're really excited to be talking with you. <laughs> welcome, welcome. That's fun. Yeah, I do. A lot of our, our all the things we were talking about kind of resonate with the topics in your book, or I don't know. Oh, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and also I've written articles um, on monogamy more generally, um, and you know on people's on relationships, the boundaries of relationships, whatever those are, whether um, it's people who have group sex or people just exploring the edges of monogamy. Right. And, and, and your articles are wonderful. Your, your writing is really fun to read. And um, I, your book plays well in groups, which you can find everywhere. Um, We're going to be talking more about that, the topics there today. Um, And then we'll be hitting on monogamy a little bit more um, near the end of the show. But I wanted to ask you how you even got into studying this. Yeah. Well, what's interesting is that actually it started with the monogamy research. So um, I was doing a project where I was trying to compare people in open relationships with people who secretly cheated and people who were monogamous. Um, And that study, I was doing that at University of Wisconsin. It was fascinating. Um, but what happened is those categories all broke down and I found what I actually found across all the relationships were that people were making rules about what they could and couldn't do. Right. Um, and then they were breaking the rules. So people Uh who were open in open relationships, it wasn't a free for all, right. They were saying, well, we can do these things, but you can't kiss anyone else. You can't fall in love with anyone else. You know, people who said they were monogamous were saying you can't have sex with anyone, but you know, I actually am not comfortable with you talking in chat rooms about sexy things either, or I'm not comfortable with porn either, or I'm okay with, with kissing away from home at a conference once a year, right? So people <laughs> had all these complicated rules, no matter what they, how they identified their relationship. Um, so I started to get really interested in transgressiveness and why we like to break the rules, and especially mm-hmm. why sex becomes a place where rule-breaking uh, sometimes makes sex hotter. Um, Mm. so prohibitions, partners you're not supposed to want or places where you're not supposed to have sex, things you're not supposed to do, all of those things take on new meanings, um, when it comes to sexuality and with the group sex, that is possibly the most transgressive, um, or one of the most transgressive things, 
people can do, right? I mean, right, it's definitely on the Across right. cultures and over time, you know, the norm for human populations has been privacy, dyadic privacy during sex. Um, it's never been completely normative, even in some enclaves where people have a lot of group sex or public sex. It's still well, and different, I, and that's part of the appeal. I found in one of your excerpts that was fascinating was the how in history you can see the repetition of using something like orgies or, or alternative sex, um, as a weapon against someone, right. To, right. to throw them out of the political ring or to bully them as a punishment in society. Yeah. To make them look bad. <laughs> to, right. To defame them. Right. Right. Um, yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it comes up again and again throughout, throughout history and in, in myths and in different cultures, uh, you know, that there's a symbolic and an emotional power to group sex, uh, that I was particularly fascinated by. Um, and I realized that during my monogamy study, and I'd interviewed a lot of people in open relationships who were in the lifestyle, I'd interviewed a lot of people in uh, the kink world. Um, and I'd been to a lot of places, you know, I'd been to a lot of clubs, a lot of sex parties. And I realized I just had this perspective on group sex that, um, I really wanted to try to step back and explore the topic really broadly, bringing in other people's research, but then also being able to draw on this um, sort of body of knowledge that I'd built, really right. studying something else. Right. So you've been to, you've, you've attended a lot of these clubs and organizations and things like that sort of as immersion. Were you always objective, trying to take this, the viewpoint of a scientist? I imagine. Well, I'm always, I've read a lot about research methods too. I mean, I don't think there's a true objective true. position anywhere. I mean, I write a lot about, um, you know, my own fascination with, you know, transgression or something of that sort. Um, and I've always been someone who sort of dives into intellectual areas that, um, I'm also trying to work out things for myself, sure. my own thoughts and feelings. And I let, really let my research change me. So um, yeah. I would say I think there are different ways to accomplish good research that don't necessarily require either being completely subjective or objective, right? I mean, right. I try to, to analyze. If I have an emotion about something, I try to, you know, sort of Recognize situate it. that in terms of what's happening. Um, right. Document that <laughs> you like acknowledge and, and record it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm um, super interested to hear about, um, this kind of work and, and even actually the, the acceptance of it into a, a more scholastic, like academic community. Maybe we talk about it when we, come when back we take from a our break. break. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're going to take a break. You can tweet us at TA sex talk, uh, to chime in on the conversation. We're talking with Dr. Catherine Frank. Uh, you can find her work at katefrank.com and you're listening to Pushing Boundaries with TNA we'll be back in a moment
Listening to Pushing Boundaries with TNA. I'm T. And I'm A. And uh, I, you know, I chose that song because. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're. Well, it's a about sex, sex parties. No, it's funny. I'm getting such a great, like, catalog of sex music. <laughs> and I think I used to be. We should start of, a playlist. When I was younger, I was, like, intimidated by sex music. But now I'm like, oh, cool. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. And that actually seemed like a throwback to, uh, you know, the one that we. What's the. My neck, my back. (laughs) Anyway, sorry. I'm digressing. We're talking about group sex tonight. Yes. And we're talking with uh, Dr. Catherine Frank. She is a scholar in residence at the Department of Sociology at the American University. And uh, her website is katefrank.com. She's also also the author of the book, Plays Well in Groups, A Journey Through the World of Group Sex. And she has dove into the world of group sex and has come out to report all about it scientifically. And, and yeah, in she's a much here with more us. academic community, which um, right before we took the break, uh, Dr. Kate, I was asking you about kind of your coming out in the academic community to, to research this kind of thing. I mean, did you find there were definitely departments that are fascinated by this or did you have to fight for your research? You know, I've always sort of, um, blaze my own path in, in terms of my research. I mean, my first book uh, was um, called G-Strings and Sympathy, and I actually worked as an exotic dancer and interviewed my customers. Um, so, wow. you know, I have already sort of established my uh, sort of... Reputation but, or... I mean, somewhat reputation. I mean, everything you write counts. You know, I wanted this to be also a scholarly book. It was meant to be somewhat crossover, um, a little less academic than my first book, but it's still, um, you know, being, doing something that's like an actual, I'm a researcher at heart, you know, I can't step away from being an academic. I tried to write it as just a popular book and I couldn't, I ended up with (laughs) 1100 footnotes and that's just (laughs) how I write. (laughs) Um, you know, no, that's a good thing. I think that's really refreshing because you can find a lot of books by sex educators or I don't know, or people from experience, but it's, it is really refreshing and helpful and insightful to see it from your eyes. Yeah. I think with the anthropologist's approach, I love the, the analysis of it because yeah, I think it's a nice addition to that environment. It's like, we want that analysis in addition, like for motivation and purpose and why people do what they do. Yeah. And I was trying to do something that went a little against the grain by sort of trying to look at a practice across time and place. And really it's more popular now to sort of study in one community, you know, pick gay men who go to circuit parties or pick swingers, something like that. I really wanted to sort of look at everyone who's engaging in sex where there might be witnesses. I wanted to throw it all together and see what I could come up with. And I mean, I even looked at things like um, violent group sex, gang rapes. Right. You know, why are rapes, why do rapes that happen with mul- multiple perpetrators or witnesses, you know, what what is kind of meaning, what kind of uh, distinct meanings are? Uh, so, Kate, you came into this uh, really interested in studying, like, just transgression in general, I suppose. I'm using that word not really knowing what it means. You use it a lot in your research, but, like, crossing boundaries and crossing lines um, and boundaries in within, within relationships and that group sex is the most transgressive and I guess well, my question, of the yeah. most, I mean, one. I wouldn't 
say that one thing could be is most transgressive for everyone. True, true. But I think one of one of the hinges of my argument in the book is that you know because humans are social creatures and we ha- feel you know we have the social emotions of disgust, shame, and guilt, and those emotions really shape a lot of our sexual experience, right? Sex involves the boundaries of our bodies. It involves the boundaries of other people's bodies and the boundaries between us and other people. So even one-on-one sex involves these really highly meaningful boundaries um, and oppositions in our life, right? Inside and outside the body, self and other. Um, And group sex has potentially even more power because you also have witnesses, you know? Um, So, you know, I was really particularly interested in how the experiences of disgust, shame, and guilt can lead to really highly uh, destructive experiences or really um, sometimes people have talked about transcendent experiences. Yeah. And and then the whole range in between. Once you get started into looking into enclaves where people have a lot of group sex, um, you know, over time it can become extremely mundane. You can be, you're not noticing the naked bodies anymore. Like you guys were talking earlier, right? About (laughs) the seeing all the naked bodies. bodies. Overwhelming. And after a while you're standing there talking about, you know, what you're going to do next week and work, the weather. (laughs) My attending naked parties. I have to say it was incredible how normalizing and kind of humanizing it was as well. There was almost less class distinction because you didn't have all these clothes. And you would have, I remember, yeah, having this, you know, very serious conversation with a guy about politics. And then he asked me out and I was like, are we, that's awkward. Yeah, (laughs) we're we're naked. We just jumped three (laughs) steps, but didn't. Um, So Kate, my question, I wanted to ask you why, and there's, this is a big answer or a big question, but why do we do this as humans? Why are we interested in group sex? Why, why, what have you found? Well, I don't think that everyone does, right? I mean, certainly, um, because there is a fascination, and, the, and I think the rise, I feel like there's, like, just in Cosmo and regular magazines, it's, it's sort of, you know, how to get the best threesome, or it's mm-hmm. more popular. Sometimes I just think evolution-wise, we haven't moved that far away from, like, bees or worms. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I mean, I think there are, there are a number of different levels of explanations for that, you know? I mean, and in the book, I do spend time on, try to spend time on each of them, you know, from habituation, which is a problem across mammals, mm, uh, yeah. for example, with the same sexual partner Monogamy um, or is a need for right. sort of different types of creatures need more stimulation. Certainly, you know, uh, watching others have sex or having, being in close proximity to others having sex is sometimes the additional stimulation that someone needs, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a lot more than that also, I think, because one thing that you find is that for people who are interested in having group sex, it's not just any kind that they're interested in, right? right. So you do get some people who want, like, the, the couple that wants to have a threesome with a bi woman, right? Or right. you get the hot wife, you know, couples where the man eroticizes his wife having sex with many men. Um, or you get swinging. And in swinging, you get many different kinds of swingers parties. Not every party is the same, right? They'll, you'll find people clustering around different kinds of music, what they like to wear, whether they like to go to, you know, parties in someone's home or a sex club, or they like to take over a hotel in Las Vegas. Right. right? I mean, so you get these nuances. I mean, if you start to look at uh, gay male sex parties, say New York City, you can get ones incredibly specific in terms of 
ages allowed, racial preferences, what types of activities are allowed. Um, so the thing is that people are looking for not just the sex part, but different ways of being social and different ways of um, sort of acting out right. their particular new practices and, or fantasies. And crossing it. Yeah, that's really interesting to me because I, I have to say my biggest question in exploring all of this has been um, basically it boils down to, for me, a debate within myself of is this leading toward the ability and the enjoyment of connecting with other people? And from, to me, that serves me. I enjoy connecting with other people. It's a joyful thing. Or is it an avoidance mechanism of avoiding intimacy one-on-one? -on -one? You know what I mean? And I don't, I, I don't know how to pose this question. I guess for me, that's a debate. I think that's I guess a big a moral quandary for a lot of people in our right. culture, right? This idea of... Of like, yeah. Well, like I think it's based, I mean, certainly there are a couple assumptions that go into thinking that, right? And one is that group sex would be the same for everyone, that it would always be casual, for example. Right, like just sex. Like People aren't picturing, you know, couples who've gotten together every Saturday night for five years, right? Um, right. Or going on vacations into with their families, don't have or... sex on the vacations, but then, you know, have these <laughs> sex parties on the side at other times, right? They're... People tend to picture a really casual view, and certainly that's the case for some people, right. and that's you know something that's judged again. But I, I think that what it is for different people, just like what regular sex is, right? What one-on-one -on -one sex? You can't say really that one-on-one um, -on -one sex is always about creating intimacy, and that's true. Yeah, you know, or that it's about. It can be about avoiding it. It can be, you know, casual. It can be deeply meaningful. It can be right. one-sided. Um, <laughs> so, exactly. I, I think one person could be thinking about doing the laundry. You know, you can also have that during yeah. a group encounter. So, so many different reasons and motivations behind But we assume acts. that sex means the same thing for everyone who's having it in a certain place or time, right? And That's so, true. Um, Everyone's like us. Did you find, um, right. Kate, going into your research, did you come from a very sheltered place and with like a lot of judgments about sexuality, that kind of thing, like your background or, I don't know, did you have a more liberal upbringing? Um, no, I think that my, but by the time I get to this research, remember I've already been an anthropologist for almost 15 years, you know, and I've worked as a stripper for my first project. And so I've been studying sexuality for a long time. Um, and I think that I'm fascinated I'm fascinated by why sex means so much to so many people. Mm -hmm. Because for one thing, I, I actually write about this in the book just a little bit when I'm talking about my methods, is that it really hasn't ever been that problematic for me. I've, I haven't stressed much about whether I'm normal. I don't really um, feel stressed about what people are going to think about me. I write about this all, right? So, sure, yeah. so less judgment. And, yeah. and I've been, you know, I've gone to a lot of, different types of places and some things have appealed to me and some haven't and I haven't it hasn't bothered me that much and it hasn't consumed me um but I do think that there are some people who live their whole lives with a desire that they never uh explore right. or that they feel ashamed of and there are pe people who you know never feel like they get enough sex or they don't get to um or they're upset by the sex that other people are having so I think part of the reason why I've studied sex and spent so much time thinking about it has been because of its relatively low importance 
in my own life, if that makes sense. Well, I think it, it puts you in a, in a unique position as, as a researcher. You know, if you're not supercharged, uh, then you're not going to have a supercharged opinion and you have more ability to look, look yeah. at the whole picture. To take so, it all in, yeah. It sounds like it's your dharma. So, yeah. (laughs) It's interesting to me. Um, Yeah. Oh, can I ask? So, so have you found that it was easy to develop this work in an academic setting? Or were you, was that a challenge to be accepted into the academic community? You know, I haven't had any difficulties publishing in the academic community at all. Um, I mean, I'm usually somewhat outside, you know, I'm not teaching full time or anything like that, but I haven't had trouble that I know, you know, um, now certainly there's probably a stigma against, there's stigma against researchers who work on sexuality or people worry that there is. What's funny is that I also don't really worry about it there either. I know that I do solid academic work and so I don't feel, um, I'm happy when I get, when my books get good reviews, this book has gotten really good reviews so far. Um, so yeah. yeah, And and it seems like there are, right. There are departments dedicated to this kind of research. So you sort of fall into those. I mean, are there conferences that you're attending in that community, that kind of thing, or is it, it's anthropological work. So it crosses all fields. You know, any work on sexuality is very interdisciplinary. So, I mean, I also am not just working or in dialogue with anthropologists at all. It's also sociologists and people in public health and rat researchers and biologists. And, you know, there's, it's extremely interdisciplinary by nature, the field. Um, so I think that's, yeah. um, you know, just part of it. Kate, what are, you've spent a lot of time in this world. What, what would you say are some of the top misconceptions or stereotypes around group sex? Well, one thing uh, I didn't say at the beginning, but I probably should have, is, you know, I looked at a lot of different communities and a lot of different practices from, say, like I've mentioned, you know, swingers or BDSM, which I included, even though people aren't always having sex, I included because it's sort of an erotic uh, interaction between people that was had witnesses, you know, where there were witnesses and witnessed Mm-hmm. Uh, actions. Um, I included, you know, guys, mostly guys, but there's women too who pursue sex on Craigslist or doggers or any time that there were witnesses um, and people being witnessed. I really wanted to open it up. So some of those enclaves have been studied widely, like in the academic literature, and have been written about in more popular forums. For, you know, the swingers, the doggers, people in BDSM. Um, right, and I could like say there are misconceptions. I'm sorry. Oh, sorry. I, I feel like it's almost been more visible uh, in mainstream media, that kind of thing, talking about Craigslist, that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so you could say there's misconceptions about each of those enclaves, but then there's also misconceptions overall. Um, and I think that one of them we already hit on briefly, which was, is that it's not necessarily always detached or casual, right? So you might even get anonymous people having anonymous sex at some point in time, anonymous group sex, it ends up being a very spiritual experience for them in the way that they narrate it later, right. the meaning it takes on in their lives. Um, well, yeah. and maybe even personal revelation through it well, that isn't yeah. about... Right. So it's not... It, or it could be, you know, that a couple goes and has sex in a club with, you know, some other people, and 
they don't even know those people's names. Those people will never enter their lives again. But for the two of them, it was extremely meaningful, deeply connecting. So I think that's one big misconception is that it's always detached or casual. Right. Um, and then I think the second one uh, is that it's all about the sex, right? That the people who are in these, you know, different worlds are really just interested in racking up as many partners as possible when it's really about a type of being, a ways of being social, different ways of, you know, spending your time, right? Right, right. Uh, And connecting. And and connecting, right. Well, Um, I want to, we're going to take a break, but I'm going to tell everybody, I kind of want to touch on the notion or belief that, uh, uh, I think it's a pervasive societal belief, I suppose, of this idea of that it's only okay to connect with one person and it's only okay to connect with our partner. Um, but uh, think about that. We're going to come back. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we'll touch on that. We're talking with Dr. Catherine Frank. Uh, she, you can find her work at katefrank.com, author of Plays Well in Groups. Tweet us at TA Sex Talk. boundaries of TNA. That's T. I'm T. <laughs> and I'm A. And we're here. We're talking about uh, group sex tonight. And we're talking with Dr. Catherine Frank, who's a scholar in residence uh, at the department in the Department of Sociology at the American University. You can find her work at, uh, at katefrank.com. And she's the author of Place Well in Groups. Hi, Kate. Hello. Welcome back. So I, I mentioned before the break that I wanted to touch on this idea of connecting with only one person and I'll share this experience because I've, you know, I've been exploring with, you know, multiple partners and and group sex a bit. And I've had this arc of experience where the first time I was ever in, or one of the first times I was ever in this situation, I really, I I saw, there was this moment where my partner really had desire for this person and that's going to happen in that in that instance for another woman for another woman yeah and she was part of the group I mean I invited her into the group it was you know but but in that moment of truth uh, and I think other people who haven't had these experiences will be like I mean this is the moment that we fear right right and you know we're there and she's you know, and he, he sees her and, you know, they're getting close and then he has desire for her and just kisses her. And like my, 
heart breaks. Take your breath away. <laughs> yeah. And it's just like punch in the stomach. And I'm like trying to be okay. I'm like, no, this is okay. This is okay. You know? And I'm like, what am I doing to myself? This is insane. So anyway, it, it was a, a failed attempt <laughs> basically. And, um, we ended up having a, a little bit of argument afterwards. She went home in the cabin. We went to our own home, um, without her, but it was, and I knew, I knew it was just part of my journey, but it like, that was where I started. Yeah, basically that's where I started. And it really, yeah, it brought up all these issues of insecurity and no, but you're, you're with me and you know, all the normal things that you would think about versus now I've, I've really made an effort to really look at my jealousy and my insecurities because I didn't want to feel that way. I didn't want to feel exclusive like to meaning excluding other people and excluding her, for example. Right. And, the, and also kind of qualifying or drawing a line at certain experience for right. your partner. Uh, right. Uh, exactly. And so I, I'm like, okay, well, how can I, you know, do this? So I, I started on this journey and now I'm, it's still, I'll be honest with you, it's still an issue. It's not something I'm a hundred percent comfortable with, but I'm much more able to, if that exact situation were to happen, to embrace her and him and uh, maybe even be a part of it and be a part of it also, <laughs> but, but not feeling like the like resistance in this like terrible gut wrenching feeling. So, and again, I'm not totally, the totally there yet, reactions. but right. the arc is possible um, for some maybe, but if, I think it if does you want to. if you want to. Yeah. But I, but I think it does for me, it really made me look at this belief that well, no, but it's only supposed to be one-on-one connection or I'm only, the only thing that's valuable is connecting completely with my partner and him connecting with me and everything else is not mm-hmm. worth pursuing. I, I don't know. There was a value system to it. And so, and I, and I wonder if that's sort of this princess belief kind of thing we get from watching Disney movies or something growing up that there's this Prince Charming for you. And, and no one else it's is just something connect. I'm questioning. Right. So what have you, what, I don't know. Any thoughts? <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, a lot of thoughts. I mean, I know, uh oh. Oh, Kate, are lost you there? You for a second. The monogamy study. Wait, Kate. Wait, one second. Again, Kate, We're going to start the response again. We'll we'll edit it back in. Sure. Okay, Tell me when to start. Go ahead. Um, I definitely have thoughts on that because I started this whole project with thinking about monogamy. Really. Um, so one of the things I think there's almost a an arc when you're looking at it in both ways. One, the idea that if you were truly evolved, you would only be uh, connecting with this one person, the one true love, right? Mm, yeah. um, but then also on the other side, the idea that you can evolve out of jealousy and out of those moments when you're a quivering mess because <laughs> something went wrong and a guy touched, you know, yeah. someone else's face in a way that triggered something deep for you. You know, I mean, there's right. this idea that, yeah, we'll get over that, right? That right. If you're non-monogamous, you'll just you'll work through those things. And um, I think sometimes people put a lot of pressure on themselves to work through that. When the fact is that from what I've seen, both in the interviews I did on monogamy and then also in my personal experiences in that world, um, you know, that you can be fine with things and then suddenly something triggers you. And what gets you through it at every level is often communicating about it, right? Mm. Saying, you know, I'm having a crazy jealous moment and can we talk for a second, right? Being able to laugh about those moments um, 
as well as cry about them if you need to, but, but not assume that you'll never have them if you're an evolved person or put pressure on other people to never have them because I think it's easier for some people than others. That's definitely one thing True, that I yeah. found. I think people can learn to be comfortable in non-monogamous relationships, even if they didn't start out that way. I don't think it's naturally or inherently easy for everyone or even the same task. It's much easier for some people than others. Um, there does seem to be a, a range of behaviors that come more naturally for some than others, right? I mean, it, to me, it just almost seems like genetic variation. I don't know if that's a fair statement, to go, but but I see the the reflection of that. Like everyone's different. Everyone's personalities are different. Everyone has different flexibilities. And it's there are different phases of the life course. So True. you can think of right. Um, there are times when it's easier to be non-monogamous than others. So, for example, a woman yeah. who's just had a baby or who has a young child, you know, maybe she could go to parties on the weekend with her husband, but she's probably not going to be able to pursue multiple meaningful sexual emotional relationships with lots of guys or women during that period, right? I mean, it's not. Yeah, or she's going to have a lot of herself already committed. Um, yeah, her energy is being allocated somewhere else. So there are times when it's easier to to pursue these things than others also. Um, so, yeah, I don't think we know exactly why, whether it's, you know, more biological or genetic in some people or, uh, you know, psychological traits. But I do think that there's a large variation. Um, and there's a large variation in terms of what uh, what really scares people about it. Is it a need for right. stability of some sort that you really want monogamy because you want to... Um, feel really stable, um, whether it's financially or emotionally um, or socially in terms of your networks? Um, or is it something that really fulfills you, right? I mean, there are people who are fulfilled by being monogamous. And so it's, you can't discount either of those right. goals. I, I, right. I agree with you. And I just, I guess for me, you know, everyone always says to each his own. And, and I get that. I just... And, and I totally agree, but I guess I feel like it's worth, um, it's worth asking ourselves because I feel like if, uh, if something is, if we're coming from a place that's fear-based, I guess that to me is a red flag. So this is just my own personal no, but you're opinion piece, on I suppose, but the, I mean, to each his own, except we know that we have this history of, you know, religion taking over and really enforcing a moral code on sexuality and a lot of taboos around it. And then I, tease big torch, which is, you know, women not orgasming and, you know, and my strong issues around it where people say oh, it's an assumption of biology or whatever. And I'm going, okay, well, when you have cultural repressions, you know, right. hitting you in the face all day, every day, you're going to have a hard time being relaxed and letting something like that flow naturally. Right. So then I go, well, this is where you don't want to just say, well, just, whatever. Right. <laughs> like everyone has, you know, their own opinion. I, yeah. I think it's just worth, worth, asking ourselves and questioning and um yeah uh i kate i want well, to I don't think go ahead that i'm saying that necessarily to each his own no and i'm not saying really you are strong uh, there are really strong cultural components to it but i think that we come at those from different places right right um you know one thing that i really thought thought about a lot during during this research is sort of what you know you're talking about the cultural repression and how um, you know, do we have spaces, you know, to really get a healthy expression of sexuality? And, um, you know, I really was questioning what, what is a healthy sexuality? What will that look like? Because one thing that tends to happen, 
Um, and I think this is just a paradox. It's somewhat inherent to sex because, again, going back to the fact that sexual experience is shaped through disgust, shame, and guilt, right? These emotions through which we compare ourselves to other people and learn about where we stand in relation to them, right? Right. Um, that, you know, it's, we can create spaces w- that are more sex positive than others or spaces where people feel more comfortable exploring things they might want to. But one thing that's really interesting is that those spaces then themselves start to have norms and rules and mm. uh, ways that you're supposed to act and be, right? Mm, um, right. So there are yeah. polyamory groups, you know, where if you come in as a swinger, they're going to look down on you for the casual sex, right? Hmm. There are swingers groups where they're going to look down on the polyamorous people as, you know, really too out there challenging marriage. There's, you know, a different sort of normative system can start coming in, um, even as we're trying to create these spaces that are more open in one way or another. Um, You find that throughout history. Sometimes people try to say, well, this such and such tribe was really open in terms of group sex or, um, you know, they actually allowed adultery, you know, people... People didn't need to be monogamous. Well, you know, in some of those societies, they also killed you if you had sex with someone of the same sex or if you had a baby with someone of a different social class or social status. So every society has regulated sex to some extent. And I think it's more, you know, what we have to start to look at is how, what's our relationship to these regulations? You know, how unequal are they, are the regulations and how are they sustaining, you know, already existing, uh, inequalities or prejudices, that sort of thing. Right. And how's it impacting our personal experience, our happiness, our lives? Mm-hmm. That's well said. Um, Can I ask yeah. a question about, this is the the other book that you wrote about stripping, but this decision to, oh, are we not talking about it now? I feel like that might go into a completely separate conversation. <laughs> can I ask, like, can, I, can, we, can we, like, keep in, like, a one-question soundbite? Like, did you find that by doing that kind of work where you were stripping for men, and specifically for your research, did you learn a lot more about your sexuality by doing that? I learned a lot about, um, well, I was forced to question a lot of things that I did believe. In fact, um, a lot of my questions about monogamy, I, my questions have always sort of emerged from the last project. So that project was first, and a lot of what I learned in that research was, um, you know, I was fascinated by the fact that these men weren't seeking sex. They were seeking connections of sort. Mm, um, right. They knew where they could buy sex if they wanted. They didn't want to buy sex. Right. They were interested in these sort of erotic connections with women. A lot of the men were married. Um, so I started thinking about, you know, well, what would I feel like if my partner was seeking these things, right? What would I feel like if he was in clubs spending money on other women? And um, so I started studying monogamy through that project. Right. Um, it really turned a lot of my previous beliefs on their head about, um, I'd been a very radical feminist in undergrad. So I think that it really turned a lot of my thoughts about objectification or, you know, power between men and women. I still have a very detailed analysis of power. I think that it's very different when you are working in a stigmatized job and you're, the money you're bringing in is to pay your bills and the money he's giving you is his leisure money. Right. I mean, I think there's a lot of power differentials going on there. But they weren't exactly the ones that I'd gone in expecting to find. And um, so it really changed my beliefs about gender, relationships, power, all of those things. Right. Um, And you can read that in your book, G-Strings and Sympathy, right? 
Yeah, and I have some other articles and chapters I've done uh, that are more specifically on my own explorations. Um, I wrote an article in Jane Sexes It Up, which is a feminist collection, mm. about really how stripping changed me. Um, right, wow. More personally. We'll, ha- we'll have to do, yeah, it, and it's fascinating, and, and please go to our website to read the information, but I, ha- I have one, in, yes. one question for you. Mm-hmm. Um, is that do you think I don't know maybe that after everything actually maybe this doesn't fit but is do you think that there's a place for this for group sex in society or maybe in the future or and if so you know what would have to change in society's contracts for that to happen or I don't know I mean for it to be more accepted on a larger scale or I suppose yeah if it if there were a place for it or I you guess know, I think that Perhaps non-monogamy will be more uh, better understood. Group sex and non-monogamy are separate things. And so I think group sex is going to remain transgressive. It always has been. And having people watch you have sex is something that um, isn't going to appeal to everyone across the board. And that's going to trigger a lot of fears and a lot of regulations, right? Um, So I don't know if it will ever be normative. And I think for the people who actually enjoy it, Maybe they won't want it to be normative. Um, <laughs> True, they won't right? want to go to jail for having it, right? They yeah. don't want to go to jail or be killed for having it. But they also might not want it to be what it's like every day, right? There's a certain element. True, of that's true. The transgressiveness that's also exciting. So as soon as it becomes mundane, like, oh, another sex party this weekend, you know, then people start to move on to other things. Right. Um, and how about non-monogamy? Because that is but a But non-monogamy is, yeah. is a different uh, sort of, uh, you know, topic in some ways. Some people who are non-monogamous would go to those types of events and some wouldn't. But I think um, we are seeing people recognize non-monogamy in different ways than previously, right? From all the different types of casual or dating relationships you could have, you know, friends with benefits or um, fuck buddies or all those. There's so many different categories. I don't even I can't keep them all straight. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but it's um, much it's more on a public stage. College, you know, and, yeah. But I think that, you know, those are categories. Those didn't exist when I was in college, right? Um, right. You know, the grinder, Tinder, these apps didn't exist. And I think, you know, so people are already thinking about, or people are already doing non-monogamy in a lot of different ways. Well, um, I wonder if it's just now on a more public stage than it ever was kind of before maybe it was more secretive affairs this kind of thing and now it's like more accepted so it's more available more right and it differs differed by culture and it differed by you know your privileges in your society right so um yes always you know certainly the dangers of seeking casual sex or having multiple sex partners for women you know there were some very real dangers and there still are um right and country to country we don't we can't really even we don't know what women's sexuality would be like without without those dangers um Hmm. so interesting anyway in terms of relationships you know people live longer they are you know people may have several different marriages or long-term relationships and they may stay close to the partners uh even after the sexual or the living together part is done um yeah and so that's an interesting thing to start to look at and consider as well you know Yeah. And it's true. And and that's one thing that's been interesting to me that I feel has been in my scope the last year or so is really taking a step back and looking at the life cycle and seeing different 
I guess, accepting that there are these different cycles and that I feel like there's this pressure to have this super hot sex-filled romance your entire life with one person and it's just completely unrealistic. So I, I personally have really been looking at like, yeah, like you had just mentioned the life cycle of, you know, living together and having kids or having a family. That's, that's a period of your life. That's not your entire life. Right. Family structures. And so I'm wondering, yeah, I mean, maybe I wonder if down the road, like, you know, life will be viewed more like that. And you have, you know, the person you build something with and, you know, there's just more fluidity and more acceptance of all these different roles in places we have in our life. Right, right. And people have always had fluidity, right? But it's almost like you failed because of it, right? So people would, right. might downplay it, right? Right, or right, They've right. had three marriages or something. And, you know, or even when you couldn't get divorced, people's, people's connections probably still followed a certain um, you know, we can't generalize too much, but sure. you know what I'm saying? You know, they could have the hot romance here and then they could, you know, fall in love with someone else, but not be able to get divorced for right, whatever right. reason. But people yeah, always probably had that fluidity, but it's now more transparent. You know, perhaps there's a lot of things that have gone into, you know, women being more mobile or being able to say, I'm going to leave this relationship. Right. Um, birth control. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. Work, contraception. Control, like yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's changes like that so that we don't really, um, it's hard to compare with, with the past, but. Right. right. Yeah. Wow. Our hour is up and I knew that would go so fast. <laughs> yeah. <Back and fast. laughs> so, uh, we've been talking with Dr. Catherine Frank, who is a scholar in residence at the department of, in the department of sociology at the American university. Uh, she's the author of plays well in groups. Um, and you can find her work at katefrank.com. She's got other articles and her other book, G-Strings and Sympathy. You, you can find links to that as well. Um, so, Kate, thank you so much. We're, we're such a fan of your work, and I, please keep it up. Yeah, thank you for enlightening you. us in our sexuality. <laughs> it was great talking with you both, so thank you. Thank you very much. And um, we you tweet us at TA Sex Talk. You're Check out our uh, – we'll post stuff on our website about this, pushingboundarieswithta.com. Yes, Pushing Boundaries with TNA, uh, where we push uh, conventional thought. <laughs> All right. Have a good night. Thanks, Kate. Bye. You too. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you.